Matthew chapter 18. I'd like to share with you this morning um, something I think is practical and I think helpful, but for me at least hard. Matthew 18, I'll read from verse 21. This is a story you know well. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master had the servant released, forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. And so this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's a sober parable. It's a sober story that Jesus gives to us about this whole issue, the principle or the practice, or what we could call the power of forgiveness. If we're honest, if I'm honest, forgiveness is at least a struggle, and at worst, it's not even practiced. In an article, The Scandal of Forgiveness, Stan Guthrie in Christianity Today magazine a number of years ago, reminded me how difficult forgiveness is. He says this, and he retells a story you guys probably know or remember. Corrie Ten Boom, the Dutch Christian, she was held in a Nazi concentration camp for harboring Jews, thought she had forgiven all of her enemies after the war. But during a speaking engagement in Munich, Germany, she met a former member of the dreaded SS who had leeringly, he quotes, guarded her at her shower stall. 
This SS officer offered his hand to her with a desire of being forgiven. I believe he had become a Christian and she was at this speaking engagement. But her hand froze, froze at her side. She thought she had forgiven all, but she could not forgive when she met that ex-Nazi officer standing in the flesh right in front of her. I think all of us have had those uh, hand frozen at the side moments, haven't we? My hand symbolically freezes from time to time. Most recently, I've been mourning and bemoaning a lot of these Christian leaders that I read about who have fallen from grace. Not that I'm exempt, not any of us are exempt from that, but it brings shock and disillusionment to me. Think of it, right? These silver-tongued teachers whom I've looked up to, people who I have read, people who have blessed my life, people I've taken from and taught others, right? They've brought solace. Their books and sermons have been a blessing to me, and I feel let down. It's hard for me to forgive them. I'm angry. My hand of forgiveness is frozen at my side. It's hard, right? It's hard. We know it feels great to be on the receiving end of forgiveness. Have you guys ever been forgiven? (laughs) We know we have. We've come to celebrate the Lord, the greatest forgiveness ever done, what was done on the cross. But Richard Hoffler reminds me of the blessing of forgiveness by this kind of homey, little bit funny story, but it's, it's really cute. This little boy was visiting his grandparents. He was given his first slingshot. Anybody here ever have a slingshot? All right. I'd be nervous. Oh, oh, I'd be even more nervous with him having one. Okay. And on an impulse, you know, he's trying to hit everything he possibly could. And he was not doing well. So he comes back home and lo and behold, he sees they, they had a little farmhouse. Their grandparents did. He sees the duck that the grandmother loved. It was kind of a pet duck. And uh, he just takes aim. Let's go. Boom. Right in the head. Dead. Falls down dead. The boy panicked. Desperately, he hid the dead duck in a wood pile, only to look up and see his sister watching. Sally had seen it all, but she didn't say anything. Ready? After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, remember the So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, I need Sally to help make supper tonight. Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. And again, she whispered, remember the duck. Johnny stayed, Sally went fishing. After several days of this, Johnny doing all the chores himself, Sally having kind of a great vacation, he finally couldn't stand it. And he confessed to grandma that he had killed the duck. And so grandma lovingly said, I know, Johnny. 
She gave him this big hug. She says, I was standing at the window the whole time. Because I love you, I forgave you. But I wondered how long you would let Sally make you a slave. That's what, well, receiving forgiveness frees you, right? And giving forgiveness frees others. It also frees you again. This passage that the Lord Jesus is teaching uh, this idea to Peter uh, is very, very important because I think if all of us, we knew that we all need to be forgiven and we all need to forgive others. We have this tendency like, and I'll go to the scripture, Lamech, to really want vengeance. Let me tell you another quick story about this pastor, Dave Hagler. He had a church, small church in a, a town, and he was driving rather quickly to get to the, the church. He had some things to do. And lo and behold, a police officer comes and pulls him over just before he gets to the church. And he's pleading, pleading with the officer. Do you ever get let go from a speeding ticket? Me too. Oh, man, it was a, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, but anyway, you know, it, it's a great thing. Well, this police officer, uh-uh, no way, baby. Okay, he's, he's writing the whole thing out. And, and Dave was haggling as much as he could, haggler, to get freed from this. So uh, he gets the ticket. It didn't turn into points, but it was pretty expensive. Dave was also the... Uh, umpire for the uh, town league softball league and so they you know a couple weeks later there's a game and Dave is ready to call the game and lo and behold who comes into the batter's box the police officer so the police they lock eyes and recognize each other and the police officer says so how'd things go with that ticket and Dave said uh, not too well And then Dave looks at him and says, can I give you some advice today? And the police officer said, yep. If you know baseball, you'll get this. Swing at everything. (laughs) That's vengeance. (laughs) Okay. Now, sometimes we think it's justice, (laughs) but that's vengeance. You see, this is nothing new. Right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 4, 23 and 24, Lamech said to his wives this, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. That's the law of Lamech. Okay, that's what he lived by. He lived this way. Every infliction of pain, there must be an equal and opposite act of vengeance. If anyone inflicts pain on me, I must make them pay. As a matter of fact, Lamech doubled down. He went beyond it. I've seen some examples of road rage, which was have been incredible. Uh, can I tell you just one other story? Literally, this happened to me. Now, you guys are more in central, 
not really. Well, you're in a different spot. I'm up in uh, northern New Jersey, Route 3. You know that beautiful area where Route 3 and Giant Stadium and, you know, you can't get lost there, right? I mean, it's impossible. It's so easy. And so, you know, uh, I'm driving down Route 3 going to Route 46. Does anybody know the Route 3, Route 46, where three lanes go into two, right? It's a joy. You can spend... The rest of your life there at the right time, depending on when you get there. So anyway, I'm driving down and there's a guy next to me who's going a little bit faster. I'm in middle lane. He goes next to me and he's speeding up and I'm a pretty safe driver. So I'm looking in my rear view window window and you know, making sure everything's fine. And I see in the fast lane, another car way behind, but this person is flying and he comes right up on the guy who was next to me, who was just passing and he's flashing his lights and beeping his horn. And then you know what happens. All the hand motions start going, blah, blah, right? So uh, finally, we get to this spot where the guy is able, who he wanted to pull over, and the guy going fast goes right in front of him. And then the guy he passed pulls back behind him, okay? So now you, you get what's happening. And if you're a good, if you, you know how to drive in traffic, you know how it slows down. And then sometimes they, they start to move and the guy in front of you doesn't move as quickly as you would want. So traffic moves, the speedy guy's up in front and he leaves a gap. And then there's a, the guy behind him, right? And instead of beeping or doing anything antagonistic like that, he pulls into the shoulder, speeds up, and cu cuts the guy off in the fast lane. I'm saying, this is terrible. <laughs> right? And, you know, again, lights are flashing, arms are waving, everybody's going crazy. And I'm thinking to myself, is this justice or revenge? I was feeling good, though. <laughs> but it was revenge. I wonder how much road rage is all about revenge. The law of Lamech. Now, you might be sitting thinking, that's not really me. Uh, but I've got news for you. Jesus talks about this aspect of forgiveness and being able to forgive. Because basically, in our inner being, we are like Lamech. Sometimes we don't have the guts to take it out on another person. And so we have bitterness and anger that takes its toll on yourself. I would venture to say that if I gave you a piece of paper, paper and you started to make a list, you could probably list about three or four people who either you, A, haven't forgiven, or B, have but are still struggling with. The need to forgive. You see, Jesus' law in this passage is the exact opposite of Lamech's law. Jesus says, love your enemy. What? Love your enemy. Paul says it differently. He says, overcome evil with good. This scripture that when Paul says, overcome evil with good, for me is the most and I'm not overstating it, exciting scripture, because what he means there is not just 
that you feel good even though a bad thing happened to you. He actually says that as you forgive your enemy, you overcome their evil perpetrated on you with kingdom goodness. It's a move of the kingdom of God into a place of evil. Do you get that? I mean, that is powerful. That happens between husbands and wives when you forgive each other. That happens with siblings. It happens in churches when you're able to forgive and let go. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't work things through. But it's something that's vital in the heart of a person. Because you know why? It's Jesus' heart. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I can't wrap my head around that statement. I get it. But I don't, would I say that? But Jesus is calling us to that. It's high. Listen to Paul's passage. He says, live with harmony. This is in Romans chapter 12, 16 to 21. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Listen to this. Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by, sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, there's a lot in that passage to unpack. Let me just tell you one thing. Sometimes we think the coals on the person's head is supposed to make the person lousy, feel lousy, right? You heap coals on their head, they're going to feel lousy. And it's kind of like, that doesn't make sense with the passage. The passage isn't, you're not trying to do good to someone to make them feel guilty and lousy. They may, that might be the result. You're doing good to someone so that they see an in-working, miraculous kingdom advance. Jesus is doing something. Actually, coals on their head means you're doing something good in that culture. You're doing something good for that person. So Jesus' law, and Paul reiterates, says, for every infliction of pain, there must be an opposite act that abounds in love and grace in blessing. Brothers and sisters, I need grace for this. If anyone inflicts pain on me, I must love them back. Love them back. And that's a process. And so we're at this crossroad, really. Okay, the propensity for revenge in every human heart, which shatters the shalom of God, and the command to love, which overcomes evil. And so let me basically say this. This is the principle this morning. Forgiveness becomes the springboard to sincere love for your enemy. Forgiveness 
becomes the springboard for sincere love toward your enemy. When you begin the process for giving that person who has offended you, that starts the process of loving. Now, Peter thinks he's got it. Peter says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? Now, Peter is going beyond the rabbinic code. Rabbinic code was three. So, you know, they gave Lamech's law a little bit, a little bit of space. All right. You have to do it one, two, three. Then after the third time, ah, you know, all bets are off. Peter's saying, wait, seven times, right, Lord? We'll go up to seven. Seven's a great number. It's the perfect number, right? Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations are 70 times seven. And I want you to notice here, Jesus' use of the word seven. Same ones that Lamech used. You see, Peter's generous offer isn't really so generous. Peter thinks he's generous, but it's really Lamech's laws in disguise. There comes to an end. And what Jesus is saying is that it does not come to an end. There are two ways to live with hurt. The way of revenge and the way of forgiveness. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is worth the ticket this morning. There's two ways to live with hurt. The way of revenge or the way of forgiveness. The first way leads to death. Emotionally, physically, ulcers, anxiety, depression, but also spiritually, because you're unable to love the way Jesus wants us to love. Forgiveness is the way of life. There is no limit. John Ortberg gives us a a retelling of this parable, only a little bit more contemporary. And I'd like to read it to you now because I, for me, it's, there's some humor in it, but it, it brings it up to date. He says this, it's in the book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He says, one day, the founder, president, CEO of a large thriving software company calls his whole management team in. All the VPs and department heads are there. It's tax time for the Roman government. Caesar's revenue agents have been auditing the books and everybody around the company is a little nervous. You ever been part of an audit? Oh, it's a blast. You have a great time. All right. I remember at North Community School of the Arts, we used to have yearly, you know, the accountants come in and they check every single penny. And it's like, what did I do wrong? Did I do anything wrong? It's crazy, right? Anyway, this is an audit. It's even worse. And the Roman government has a flat tax. You know what it is? Pay what they tell you or get flattened. That was corny, but yeah, you get it. All right. During the audit, the government accountants discover that one of the VPs has had his hand in the cookie jar. The VP has been at the company from the beginning, but his Achilles heel was living and maintaining a lifestyle he could not afford. And he has been embezzling for years. And the sum he owes is astronomical. The number that Jesus uses in that passage 
was so big, you could have translated it zillions of dollars. That's how much the debt was. It's beyond the United States trade deficit, more money than you will ever see, and the debt that could never be paid. So after the audit is done, the CEO calls another meeting. All the VP's department heads reassemble with the embezzler present. The air is thick, right? You can imagine what this is like. Imagine the CEO believed in this man and trusted him. This VP must admit his greed, his theft, and his violation of trust. His head is throbbing. His heart is pounding. His palms are sweaty. No more bluffing. There's no hidden bank account in Belize. It's all spent. It's over. And as he stands there alone and guilty, his sentence is read. Sell everything he owns. Sell him into slavery and his wife and his children and his children's children until they pay the unpayable debt. And you might be wondering, boy, Jesus is really giving a really stark penalty in this story. That's the way it was in Rome. That's what the law was. He was stating reality. Well, here's what happens. Something happens to the embezzler and everybody else doesn't really understand, but this idea comes to his mind. I'm just going to fall on my face, humble myself and beg for mercy. He says, it's a long shot. It's a last ditch effort, a million and one shot, but what have I to lose? And so he falls to his knees. He blurts out passionately. I know I'm guilty. I know what I owe. Please show me mercy. I'll pay back what I owe you. I just need some time. Give me grace period. Give me grace. Now, you know, the other VPs are there, right? They're thinking this is embarrassing. Oh, man, look at this guy. What is he doing? People who lend money in banks are serious about debt. They get their seriousness from the mafia. The mafia's loaners have taken an aquatic metaphor. You know what it is? They're called loan sharks, not the loan bunny, not the loan poodle. This cheater wants mercy? He's got to be joking. He couldn't pay back this debt in a thousand years. At least go down with some dignity. You know, it sounds like far-fetched, but you know, every time we think of ourselves light on sin, right? And we don't really take ownership of our own sin. We're doing like he does, right? We're thinking like, you know, it's no really big deal. No, Jesus paid an incredible debt for it. An eternal debt. The VPs and the department heads look over at the founder of the CEO and they notice what? This CEO is choked up. His eyes are full of tears. His lips tremble a little as he tries to speak. Jesus calls this pity in the passage. He calls it compassion. And for reasons no one understands, the CEO walks over to where the embezzler is kneeling, raises him to his feet. All right. I will rescind the sentence. And what this means basically is this man will not go to jail. He will not be a slave. He will not lose his family. He will keep what he owns. Plus the CEO goes beyond that. He releases him from the debt. The unpayable debt doesn't have to be paid back. Grace will be extended indefinitely. More grace than the embezzler had ever dreamed of. More grace anyone else ever imagined. 
You see, that's the impact of the story. The people there, the disciples there, are astounded by Jesus' love and grace. God can really go that far? God will really forgive that much? Amen, he does. I have to take a step back from the story, as I'm sure you guys do, right? I came to know the Lord 19 years of age, junior in college, 1974, in Rutgers, Newark, and I devoted my life to Christ. And even from those that time onward, I'm not talking about before. There's a pile of sin before, but I'm talking about stuff then. Since then, I've been rude. I've been haughty. I am arrogant. I am coarse. I am insensitive. Sometimes I'm tempted to gossip. I'm lazy. I lust. I fear. I take my wife for granted. How about the omissions of love that I've committed? I owe. You owe. We owe. But Jesus takes it personal too. He knows we owe. But he gives. He pays. He takes the debt. Willingly, so you and I don't have to remember the duck anymore. This is God's heart. And it's the heart he wants for us. You see, forgiveness is the inner response to evil that releases the perpetrator. And when possible, finds fulfillment in outward reconciliation. See, in forgiveness, someone has to pay, right? I have a friend of mine who came over my house. He's, um, how shall I say this in a, in a um, politically correct way? He's overweight. He's a little chubby. He's chubbier than me. And he sits back on the chair and he pushes back on our carpet and the leg cracks nice dining room chair at least i thought it was nice so it's cracks oh he's oh i'm so sorry i'll pay for it blah 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 no come on don't worry about it it's it's okay steve you don't have to pay for it no it wasn't steve (laughs) all right and uh you don't have to pay for it. it's fine and he leaves and you know everything's great right no no big deal but someone has to pay for it either i do or we throw the chair out and our family does. We don't have six any longer. It's just five. I excommunicate one of my daughters and they're gone so we can make fit around the table. Uh, somebody has to pay. And so in forgiveness with, with the Lord, with the Lord God, this is what's so amazing is that his way of bringing good, his way of bringing his love face to face with people is to say, I will pay. That's Christ. That's overcoming evil with good. It's a miracle, isn't it? It's not the way this world works at all. But that's the way God works. And then he says to you and me, if you want to live in the kingdom, 
you got to do the same thing. Release it to me. It says vengeance is mine. God will set the record right someday. But do we believe it? Or are we like Lamech? Let's pray. Lord, this morning we've looked at serious and convicting things about our own hearts. And I'm sure all of us, we we have individuals, people that we need to forgive. There may be people that your spirit is bringing to mind right now, close people, but you want us to free them and then love them. So help us, Lord, to discern, because we know when we get into this very uh, difficult realm of forgiveness, we always fear I'm going to be taken advantage of, or my boundaries have to be right. And some of these things have to be worked through. But God, you call us to forgive. Give us the heart, Lord, Lord Jesus, that you have. Help us, we pray, because we will be free. In your great and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.